This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Nature has always called deeply to my heart as a potent path to my connection to spirit. Do you find your usual approaches to anxiety, yoga, prayer, meditation, are not bringing the long-lasting inner peace you truly desire? Awakening from anxiety author and counselor, Connie Habash, has helped hundreds of spiritual people like you overcome fear and anxiety, regain happiness, and feel more calm within. Spiritual people often find that their own expectations of living a life dedicated to a higher power makes them more susceptible to high-functioning anxiety. In over 25 years as a counselor, helping spiritual people overcome anxiety, Reverend Connie has taught that it takes more than chanting mantras, stretching, or relaxation techniques to calm anxiety. It requires a transformation in perception, moment-to-moment body awareness, and a conscious response to thoughts and emotions. Valeria Tejas interviews Reverend Connie L. Habash, the author of Awakening from Anxiety, a spiritual guide to living a more calm, confident, and courageous life. Reverend Connie L. Habash is a licensed marriage and family therapist yoga and meditation teacher, interfaith minister, and author of Awakening from Anxiety, a spiritual guide to living a more calm, confident, and courageous life. Over the last 27 years, she has helped hundreds of students and clients overcome stress, anxiety, depression, and spiritually awaken. Reverend Connie is committed to nurturing and heart-centered spiritual community. She leads online programs worldwide, as well as retreats, workshops, and yoga teacher trainings in the San Francisco Bay Area. Meet Reverend Connie at AwakeningSelf.com. Here is the interview with Reverend Connie L. Habash. In your own words, who is Reverend Connie L. Habesh? Who am I? That is the quintessential spiritual question, I think, uh, that recalls to mind Ramana Maharshi, a great spiritual sage from the 20th century from India. I mean, if I were to really answer that, it would be silence. Mm. It would be consciousness. It would be beingness, you know, because we could give ourselves all kinds of labels, like I'm a woman and I'm such and such an age and I do this for a living, but that's not really 
who I am, or I don't think that's who you are or anyone listening. We are something that's beyond words, but we can feel that. We can know that within our being of who we are. How did this come to be? Being in a body and aware of who we are even, how did this separation happen? That's a really great question because as you ask that question, of course, there's the knowing from asking it that we are one and we all came from a oneness and that the separation is really an illusion. We appear to be in what we call separate bodies. So I, the true answer for me is I don't know. I think that's the honest answer. Um, but what I sense, what I intuit, what feels true for me based on my experience and what I've studied in many spiritual traditions is a choice, mm. a choice to come and experience what it's like to be in physical form, what it is like to have the appearance um, or the maya of separation, uh, what is it like to have these faculties that are part of our consciousness, but are out picturing through a body of seeing and hearing and touching and tasting and smelling and um, interacting in a third dimensional world of form. Um, and to learn and grow from that experience because there are opportunities being on a, this planet and being in a body that we just don't really have as oneness. So I see this as a, a blessing and an opportunity every day of what can I explore? What can I learn? How can I grow? What can I offer? And how much more can I return to the experience of oneness while in this form? Another thing that comes to mind is the purpose. Do you think that we have chosen to be here to experience a certain aspect of being in a human body, helping others or joy, love, or there's no such a thing from your understanding? I absolutely feel we have purpose and not just human beings. Mm, I feel that every being has purpose for being here, has something that they're giving, that they're offering, that is of immense value and beauty mm-hmm. and aliveness. Mm-hmm. And for each of us, so, you know, speaking for human beings, because that's what I am and you are, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, that, I know, think too. <laughs> is for, for each of us to continually rediscover that purpose because um, it, it, infinitely unfolds through our life. We may feel at one point in our life that our purpose is maybe to raise a child or our purpose is to experience giving and receiving love or our purpose is, um, you know, for me as a teacher and as a like a psychotherapist is to help others awaken. But it's continuously expanding and unfolding so we can rediscover our purpose. We can discover new layers and new levels and new venues of our purpose. And that to me makes life always exciting and joyful. Um, It can be challenging, of course, too. But to me, it's just beautiful. And to let that continue to unfold like infinite petals of a flower. Speaking of challenges, 2020 has been one of these times of change and challenges for many of us. 
What insights have you gained in 2020, Connie? 2020 um, had was quite a powerful year for me. I, well, first of all, my theme for the year. So every year I choose an intent, which is like a statement or a word. Yeah. And my intent mm-hmm. for 2020 was living in the flow. Mm-hmm. And what that meant to me was allowing everything to come to me rather than trying so hard to make things happen, which we can we can be that way, right? And, yeah, and oftentimes yeah. on the spiritual path, we want to try and manifest and make right. it happen. And to me, it's so much more easeful and joyful to allow and trust that the divine knows exactly what I need and brings it to me at the right time. And so on the work part of my life, on the what I contribute and give to the world through my teaching and my book and my therapy practice and all of that, everything really came to me quite easily. But what also came to me (laughs) was an illness. So I became quite sick in March, April, May with hyperthyroidism. And so what that brought to me was the ability to stop, to not worry about what I need to do and to shift my focus really to my being, to who I am in this moment, just as a being, just by being present here. And that was really a powerful gift. It was difficult because I'm I'm pretty attached to my doings. You know, I really <laughs> yes. like doing a lot of things. I like creating, but it was very healing and important, I think, for me to experience that and to have to let go. I mean, I was forced to let go. My body really, I couldn't even do gentle yoga. Wow. So yeah. sitting, sitting outside in my yard, sitting in meditation, lying down, resting, and really sitting with my being was, that was a big gift to me from 2020. And um, and then being able to be there for people through the challenges that the pandemic brought, um, I felt really honored and blessed that I had something to offer and that my book actually was really good timing for that. Yeah, very good timing, actually timeless. So in your book, you say, the honest to goodness truth is that spirituality is a messy journey. <laughs> that was funny and funny because it's true to me that's yeah. why we left. Um, so what is spirituality to you and what is to awaken spirituality in ourselves? The question really is, what is to be spiritual? Well, for me, spirituality is distinct from religion, but yeah. could include it. It's really our personal relationship with something greater than us. And to live a spiritual life is dedicating your thoughts, your words, your actions to that. Not perfectly, right, right. <laughs> you know, but, but yeah. having that intent in our heart. And so to me, you know, everything that I do and all of who I am is part of my spiritual journey and part of my exploration of a deeper and deeper connection to that something greater, which I call the divine. I used to call it God when I was younger, but I have some religious connections to that word. And I think there's a lot of people on the spiritual path that 
find that as well. And they, they're trying to find another word. So some people might have like the creator or the, yeah. the universe or the <laughs> infinite presence. For me, I call it the divine. Yeah. And um, it's really informs every moment that I can be conscious of that. I'm not always conscious of that. I would, you know, I endeavor to be. But um, every time I I look out my window, as I'm doing right now, at the trees, and when I sit down to write something, I connect to that. And when I'm doing my yoga, and when I'm sitting with a client, and when I'm speaking on a podcast or (laughs) for um, a workshop, um, when I'm with my daughter or with my husband or, you know, doing the laundry, that's it's all part of the spiritual path. And and because of that, everything has gifts for me. And I have an opportunity to offer something to the moment as well. That to me is spirituality. I love the way you talk in your book about living. Spirituality is about living it, not just practicing it. And that really resonates true to me. Talk to me for a moment about the the paradox that you speak of too in a book, uh, spiritual paradox, which we uh, get caught up in practices and expectations and trying to be spiritual in a certain way. And then anxiety arises. Talk to me for a moment about that. Well, spiritual paradox is something that I teach a lot because there are so many paradoxes <laughs> yeah, on right. the spiritual path, right? <laughs> on the one hand, we're endeavoring to be our highest and best, right? And yet, on the other hand, we are going to trip and fall and <laughs> it's going to oh, get yeah. messy. There's <laughs> going to be mud. And um, and that those very mistakes, which I call them the mistake, like, yeah. you know, if, yeah. you, uh, if you're filming something and they say, take one, and then right. like, oh, no, that was a mess. All right, take two. You know, right. like there's... We're going to have lots of mistakes in our life, but it's those very things actually that usually, as I'm sure many listeners can relate to, are what deepen us, that that have the opportunity to awaken us to something greater in ourselves, to heal something um, in our heart or our body or our soul, to understand something from a whole new perspective. It's the very mistakes that bring that to us. I mean, if the life, if life was perfect and our path was easy and smooth all the time, like, why would we be motivated to grow? Why would there be any, we would never see anything differently because everything's all comfortable and perfect all the time. There's a few, you know, paradoxes I talk about in the group book, but that's to me, the, the essential paradox is that although we're endeavoring to be all of our best we're sometimes going to be at our worst. And then that's the grist for the mill. That's what gives us the opportunity to then open our heart and and op- open our vulnerability and look at ourselves honestly and see what is the gift in that. I love the way you say that. Yeah. Mistakes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> True. <laughs> I never heard of that way before, but that makes so much sense to me. Happiness. This is something that we strive to pursue. So talk to me about what happiness is to you and what are the greatest misconceptions about happiness? I distinguish happiness from two other similar concepts. So we have happiness, which is generally a temporal experience, which means that it comes and it goes, right? Like I'm eating ice cream and I'm happy (laughs) and then I don't get to have ice cream and I may not be so happy or I eat too much ice cream and then I'm really not happy. (laughs) (laughs) There's 
happiness, and then there's contentment, mm. which in yoga philosophy is called in Sanskrit santosha. And contentment is that underlying foundation that I'm okay, however it is. Um, so even when we're going through painful times, we can access a sense of santosha or that inner contentment that's like, but you know, there's a part of me that's still okay. Um, it's a, it's an ability to let yourself feel satisfied in this moment, just as it is. It doesn't mean that you might not desire or long for something greater, but here in this moment, I can feel content. So there's santosha, which is contentment. There's happiness, which is temporal feeling good. And then there's what we call in yogic philosophy, ananda, which is bliss, Mm -hmm. which is this, it's kind of hard to describe, but it's this inner joyful aliveness and connect feeling of interconnectedness and oneness that we often experience in transcendent states. Mm. It's like love. It's not really based on any condition or circumstance. Mm. It can arise spontaneously. It can arise from a beautiful moment with a loved one or in nature or in, you know, deep meditation, but it's not hooked to any sort of particular experience or anything I did or didn't do. It kind of comes by grace. And so I enjoy happiness when it's here, but I try not to have attachment to happiness. I endeavor to cultivate more contentment, santosha, in my life. That is to me a really important foundation to stay calm and centered and undisturbed. I don't know if that's fair to say because sometimes I get disturbed, but to be okay with being disturbed, right? right? right okay, right. that's how it is. Yeah. And then I open myself to receive the grace of bliss or ananda, joy, um, when it arises without attachment or expectation of it coming. That resonates so true to me that bliss or joy or this joyful. It feels like gratitude too mm. to me, being grateful mm-hmm. for everything and just yeah, gratitude, yeah. appreciation. Right. You know, so so the the mm. thing I I think I want to add to all of that is that the one thing out of those three things that I can practice and cultivate and develop like a muscle is santosha. So that's where I emphasize um, my personal practices cultivating that contentment within. So I have a few more warm-up questions for you. I'll ask you this one. Freedom. What is freedom to you, Connie? To me, freedom is being able to be content in any given moment and have that affirm grounding and foundation of something really solid within myself that I can always count on, which to me is the divine um, and the planet, the earth. So, But I see the, the earth as sacred anyway as part of the divine. So when I have that kind of rock foundation within myself, then I know that whatever comes in life, um, the sorrows and the joys and everything in between, um, I can respond to. I'm able to respond to whatever arises and from that deep connection within. You wrote the book, Awakening from Anxiety, a spiritual guide to living a more calm, confident, and courageous life. Two initial questions. How did you become a writer and what was the inspiration and intention of writing your book? 
my journey with writing started quite some time ago. Um, I would say probably 21 years ago, almost 21 years ago, when I began my newsletter and I made this commitment that I wanted to learn to write better. And so I committed to writing a blog every month in that newsletter. Um, but I want to say that um, growing up, I did not feel I was a very good writer in high school. I was in, you know, a, a good, more challenging English classes, but I, I wasn't really the top student. I wasn't a mostly A student in those classes. I always got the feeling like my teach, I wasn't able to write the way my teachers wanted me to. And it wasn't until graduate school and then after graduate school that I I discovered through taking some writing classes and studying with some mentors that it's really about finding your truth and your own voice. And so as I developed my own voice of being able to write the way that I talk, you know, the way yeah. that it's like talking with you, Valeria, you yeah. know, and yeah. letting that come through on the page, <laughs> that my writing started to blossom. Yeah. And then I knew that I had books in me. I, I really wanted to share some of what has blessed my life and what has been healing in my life as well as my clients and my students' lives. And so several years ago, I tried writing my first book. Um, which was, it was about um, yoga and the seasons. And it just was like, it was, it was good content. It's something that I've been sharing in my blogs for years, but it was not the right book and not at the right time. So after trying that for a while, I let it go. And then about, I guess it's been about three years ago now, I really felt the desire to write a book again. And I discovered through sort of the serendipitous YouTube ad of all things, um, a program to write your book in three months. And I, I felt really moved and my heart opened and I was crying. I just knew this was it. Um, and so I signed up for that and sure enough, I got my manuscript done in three months and it emerged from the gifts of helping people with anxiety because I knew that was a, an area that was really part of my expertise, both as a psychotherapist and as also as a yoga and meditation teacher, because people come to yoga class to de-stress, right? Yeah, they come, yeah. I'm going to feel some of that peace. <laughs> True. Um, so to be able to bring it together, both as a book for healing anxiety, but also that very anxiety itself as a pathway to awakening really felt like a beautiful gift that I could give the world. So that really, I got into the flow, talking about living in the flow and found a publisher pretty quickly. And then the year came, the, the book came out a year later after I had started the manuscript. So that was very exciting and really blessed to have that to offer. And I'm working on my second book now. Yeah, it is, uh, as I mentioned, off record, I think, maybe in the beginning of the conversation. It's very clear. I love your work, how clear it is. It's fun to read. And true, it's just, um, I mean, it made my heart open. I can feel your presence by reading the book. It's really everything that we wanted to be reminded of, like in my case, being reminded, because a lot of these things... Um, I don't claim to know them 100%, but I have experienced. So that's interesting to be reminded of these important messages. It's great that you use the word reminded because that's how I see it too. And I've written it really for many people on the spiritual path that a lot of these things are things that they know, but yeah. they've forgotten or they right. have stopped practicing or they've never thought of it quite in that way. So it is to trigger our own inner knowing. 
So you wrote in your book, you say, I understood my main problem. I had to surrender. I truly had to let go of what was not mine to control. It was time to surrender it to the divine, to something greater than me. So talk to me about your own experience with anxiety and your journey of transformation within that realm. My journey with anxiety has come up in a lot of different forms. It came up uh, when I was young in shyness, in the fear of speaking in front of people. Yeah. That's, I think, the most <laughs> common public speaking, right? <laughs> the most common fears yeah. for people that creates anxiety. Yeah. It's, it came up um, with the birth of my daughter when I gave birth, and the birth was pretty difficult and painful and long. And so there was a fear of, um, had anxiety about things beyond my control, which is a lot of life, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. and, um, and then of course, anxiety about being a good mother and, and recognizing the huge responsibility that one undertakes when a child is born through you and into your life. Yeah. And then also, which I talk about in the book, anxiety about flying in planes. And, and uh, that's actually one of the examples, as you know, that I give in the book about really letting go in those moments of turbulence on the plane, because that's when anxiety would just get go through the roof, right? Right. And like the cold, sweaty (laughs) hands and shivering and really coming to that realization that my attempts to try to control this are completely fruitless. Yeah. It is not something in my control and that I really do have that deep faith and knowing within that something greater has me in, in its hands. And, and so on that plane or with my daughter, I endeavor to do my best, but that I know that, for example, her choices, she's going to step into her own life and she's going to be in the hands of something greater And so the more that I practice that, and I did with my illness this last year, just letting go and surrendering, knowing, trusting Mm -hmm. that, you know, I'm not surrendering in the terms of laying down and then, okay, something, you know, laying down in a battlefield, but I'm giving, I'm, I'm trusting that place within me and within all of us that really has this and that. I'm going to get through this, whatever happens on the plane, I know my divine self. I know that I'm not limited to this body or this circumstance and really offering over to the greater good that's playing out in every moment, whatever the circumstance. And I wonder how we can move from that space of intellectual understanding of this trust, of divine trust, to a knowing How does it work, Connie, that transition for you? How did that happen? I think it's like lifting weights. You know, it's like you start with little weights. So um, finding things that you know you can surrender and that you do trust Mm -hmm. in, like the the knowing that the sun will come up the next day, even if it's behind clouds, Um, the trusting that spring arrives, the trusting that when you turn the faucet, the water is going to flow. I mean, most of these things are things that 
we have already surrendered. We're not like trying to make water flow through the pipes, yeah, you know? Yeah, true. <laughs> and, yeah. And so as we acknowledge and recognize things like that, that we're already completely surrendered to, that we trust, um, then we can start to consider bigger things like, okay, I'm going to trust that I'm going to get to uh, work on time or to to the store on time before they close or whatever it is. I mean, right now a lot of us are sheltered in place, but, um, you know, whatever that is and that, okay. Or that when I get there, it's going to work out just the way that it needs to. Um, and that sometimes things don't work out the way we expected, but they, they often have some other gift in them. And so practicing that trust. And so you, you can build up with little things and then surrender bigger and bigger things and see how that actually works out in your life. I mean, for me, if I look back, it's always worked out. Even yeah. though I may have gone through a hard time, it's always worked out. Yeah. And and the plane, yeah. you know, it always landed. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I'm here. Yes. So I got through those times of turbulence. In your book, you talk about practices, and we know in the healing field, there's a lot to do with practices. So for you, I know you're a therapist, uh, licensed marriage and family therapist, and you also have uh, the background of yoga, meditation, and you're also a interfaith minister. This might be a good time to ask a question about what that is. But before that, so from all these practices that you have, is there one practice in particular that have been more effective than another? I would say at this time in my life, presence mm. is the most powerful practice in my life, which I learned from Leonard Jacobson, who I know you've had on your show. It's really that ability to be fully here right now. I define presence as being aware and attentive, bringing our awareness and attention into the moment as it is with a quiet mind and an open heart. So mm. we let go of our thoughts and our heart is open, meaning we're completely receptive. And that practice has really transformed my life in myriad ways. I find so much joy and peace and ease. In presence, I find that it deepens my connections with everyone and everything and with myself. And it's my go-to practice wherever I am and whatever I'm doing. Yeah. And that is another form of surrender, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, going back to the interfaith uh, ministry. Yeah, what is that, Connie? Interfaith ministry is honoring all of the spiritual paths and traditions and being able to meet people where they are on their spiritual path. Mm -hmm. And for me, it is a culmination of, I grew up Christian, but I didn't, at a certain point, I felt like there's something more for me or this isn't quite resonating. And so I explored and I studied many different spiritual paths, um, including Christianity again. And I was really drawn to the truths that I found wove through every tradition. You know, the, the central truths like love, unconditional love, truth, honesty, kindness, generosity, non-harming, things like that. And I wanted to weave together and bring together things that I thought were gems from every path. So that's what 
took me to interfaith ministry because I found that not not any one path seemed to fill everything for me. And yeah. It's a beautiful, a beautiful synthesis of the truths I found in all the traditions. Which is um, sounds really great to me. This idea that we're all unique and there are many paths. Yeah, it's not just one to right. to what is to God, all, the divine. As they life. say, it's all one mountain, and there's many paths up to up to the top. So your book, um, well, I love the mistakes you have there. The you call part two the mistakes spiritual people make that perpetuate anxiety. So you have six of them, if I am not, yeah, if I'm correct about it, and they are very interesting. And I have way too many questions about them, and I wrote so many quotes here, but because of the time, let me try to focus on mistake number one. That's a big one. I think that's why you have as mistake yes. one, perfectionism. So talk to me about perfectionism. And also another one that caught my attention is... The mistake number four, you create your reality. Yeah, I had a feeling that that one usually kind of really gets people's attention. Yeah, right. So right. I'll talk about the perfectionism first, yeah. because to me, that was that was probably my biggest obstacle on the spiritual path. I grew up as a perfectionist. I'm a Virgo. I'm kind of born that way. <laughs> kind of wired to always want things to be perfect, myself to be perfect. Um, I had a strong inner critic. And, and I still have that inner critic there. Um, but I feel like I've brought her on as an ally, yeah. um, as a, a new perspective to respond to that part of myself. But when we're, especially people who are spiritual, often we step on a spiritual path because in some way we want to perfect ourselves. We have this ideal yeah, of true. being, you know, all loving and completely yeah. peaceful and being able to heal others or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. And that desire to be perfect actually can drive our anxiety because then we worry about not being good enough. We tend to compare ourselves, um, especially to someone who might be kind of saintly. We want to be like that. And then when we fall short, we feel like, oh, I'm, I'm messing up on the spiritual path. I'm not good enough. And we can kind of tumble down into all those kinds of thoughts. So to be able to acknowledge and recognize when that kind of perfectionism comes up for us and then to embrace ourselves with the understanding that it, again, it's those very, you know, it's the cracks that led in the light, as they say, it's those very parts of ourselves that are imperfect that can open us to deeper awareness and awakening. If we work with them in a conscious way, which I talk about in the book about like, for example, with anxiety, how to work with anxiety in a way that it really can um, open your heart and bring you insight and awareness and deepen your spiritual awakening. Then the other one that you were talking about, you create your reality. I see it as a spiritual mistake or misunderstanding because a lot of people know about the law of attraction. Um, It's really a powerful practice. It's something that I've certainly used in my life. But we can kind of fall into this trap with that, that we can control everything back Mm. to that idea of control. I'm going to manifest and create everything. And then when they don't happen, you know, exactly the way that we planned, we might again fall into that. Oh, I guess I did something wrong. I had the wrong thoughts or, and then we can criticize ourselves. But also a couple other things about that is that honestly, when I, 
have an intent, but then I let it go and I surrender it. I feel that the divine brings something much better than I could have created or manifested on my own. And and that we misunderstand that we're not actually creating our reality, that a lot of people say you create your reality, but reality is transcendent. It is actually unchanging, the unchanging divine essence of who we are. But what we are creating is our experience of reality. Right. Um, and so changing the way that we think, the way that we respond, that we can do. Um, and so to shift from trying to change circumstances and events and make things happen a certain way to shift to, okay, I can change my internal experience. And that's really a lot of what the book is about because it's about changing from anxiety to more calm and feeling confident. Also mistake number two, it's very interesting, flight to light, where you say run into the light side of, of the situation too quickly, avoids the potential for some deep healing of our worst triggers. That is so true, though, and I'm wondering why we have this bad habit of doing exactly that. Yeah, um, yeah talk to me for a moment about avoiding the shadow, as you call it, in spiritual bypassing. Yeah, spiritual bypassing um, is it's when we tend to avoid the things in our shadow self. The shadow self is what we don't like to think we have within us. We don't like the quote-unquote negative emotions like yeah. anger or hatred or jealousy or anxiety or you know worry or fear or any of that. And that when we... On the spiritual path, again, we might imagine that, okay, I can become this blissful, perfect being and I can be, become so, you know, loving and calm all the time. And when we have something like, I like to use anger because anger is kind of, I think, the most um, maligned emotion that we have. Yeah. And I don't, I yes. see all emotions as um, valuable and blessings and important in our lives. Yeah. So um, when we have something like that come up, we can think, oh, that's a bad emotion and I must get rid of the anger. And a lot of spiritual teachers say, oh, you know, you shouldn't be angry. But I think we misunderstand that teaching because if we just try to get rid of it, it's going to be repressed and it's going to come out in some other way. And so what I do instead, what I think is much more effective and has actually created change in my life and my clients and students' lives is welcome it in, allow, allow yourself to feel it in an appropriate way and learn from it what it's trying to communicate or what it's trying to teach or reveal to you. And there's a whole process that you can go through of working with anxiety or anger or some other quote-unquote negative emotion where it really becomes transformative and it's not a bad thing. And we it doesn't serve us to try to repress it into the shadow and pretend like it's not there. Right. Um, that's actually attacking a very human part of ourselves and something that was given to us as our experiences coming into back to our original conversation form that this is part of what we experience here in form and to start to see it as an energy to be consciously worked with not a negative emotion to be maligned and extricated then part three in your book the keys to more calm confident 
life and presence is number one and then um, you have embodiment self-compassion that's um, yeah that's something that I really I mean I believe in all of these practices but self-compassion has been a big one for me feeling your anxiety listening to your anxiety let me not give away the whole book <laughs> and stop here <laughs> And I love also the quote you have from Thich Nhat Hanh there, spiritual practice is not just sitting and meditation. Every act, every breath, every step can be a practice and can help us to become more ourselves. True, a thousand times true. And that's why you have that there as well. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about the uh, online programs you offer, also retreats, workshops, and you also offer yoga teacher trainings in San Francisco. So talk to me about your services for a moment. Yeah, so I um, I do online therapy. I have online um, groups that I do. I'm creating right now a more longer term online group that will probably last uh, two to three months um, based on some of the teachings from Awakening from Anxiety that are part of my foundational spiritual teachings. Um, I'm actually, tonight I'm giving a, a workshop online with East West Books. Um, and I'm also doing some in-person socially distance gatherings here in the San Francisco Bay Area outdoors, where we're deeply connecting to nature and the divine within us. I have um, many offerings coming up soon, especially as I uh, get ready to publish my next book, hopefully next year. It'll be about self-care. Mm. So you can find out all about that on my website, awakening awakeningself.com. All of the upcoming events that I have, I have a monthly meditation class every Friday evening online. So lots of different offerings. Yeah, wonderful. And I'll be doing my, my in-person retreats um, Hopefully in 2022, uh, I have uh, one scheduled in the spring and uh, here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Wonderful. I'll have the link to your, your website on the podcast profile. So before I ask you these final questions, I think I have two of them here. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? I would just like to add that you have everything that you need within you. You actually, as we were talking about earlier, uh, Valeria, everyone has sacred memory within themselves, sacred knowing of your divine self, um, of your purpose, of your essence. And it is a practice for us to remember to, and, and by coming back into the present moment, right here with yourself, right here as you are, that everything within us and everything in our life can be a doorway to remembering and knowing our divine self and our oneness and connection with the divine. If we look at everything and we welcome it in in that way, it can all serve to awaken us. True. A billion times true <laughs> to that. Thank you. And two more questions. What is another word for healing? I would say another word for healing is, is returning to your divine self. I was just listening to something the other day about this, um, that healing is not doing something to yourself or trying to make yourself 
other than how you are. It's really recognizing the truth of who you are and that circumstances and conditions are not your true self, that a condition in your body is not really that which you are. It's something that's temporary that's passing through. So healing, and it might not always include actual physical healing, but it's a healing of the heart and of the spirit of coming back to this is my divine essence. That is what I am and who I am. Um, Starting back at the beginning with your first question of who am I? I love, love, love a thousand times <laughs> your presence, your wisdom, your knowing, the wisdom that comes from knowing. It's so, um, yeah, the heart just opens. <laughs> so, yeah, it's true, true, true a thousand times. <laughs> um, yes. And my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? Three things in life that I know as of this moment is there is this moment this is the only moment that there is, is right now, the present. And that we are all divine beings. Every one of us, everything that exists in the universe is a divine essence in form. And that love is our truth as we come into this present moment and we recognize our divine self. Love is there and is that and is who we are. Yes. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much, Valeria. Yeah, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your compassion and sharing what you know to be true and everything else in between, the subtleties <laughs> that can be felt. So, yeah, before we say goodbye, please um, tell me again your website. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Awakening self, like yourself, awakeningself.com. And I have um, not only information about my upcoming events and offerings, but lots of content on there that you can read, videos, um, audios you can listen to for your awakening and inspiration. And I look forward to connecting with all of you listening. And it's been a real blessing being here with you, Valeria. Thank you so much for your loving, compassionate, inspiring presence. So we'll talk soon. Take good care and bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Reverend Connie L. Habash and her work, please visit awakeningself.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.